Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, well, well. If it isn't the GSOM boys in Las Vegas for SB Nation's Great Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's about a million degrees outside, but it's cold as ice inside because we've got Dr. Tom, Tommy B. Tom, how are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm all right. A little, little dehydrated, a little hot, but other than that, doing well, watching some uh, great, and by great, I mean eh, so-so basketball. Right, right. Summer League, we're here for that. And also, we have the immortal Brady. Brady, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey I am doing very well. Very happy to be outside of the... Uh, 107 degrees or whatever it is today and in here in the in the nice brisk SB Nation podcast room here ready for some slander season yes yes slander season is officially in um so we actually haven't had a uh, Dr. Tom and Gold-Blooded King podcast um and I being the, the Gold-Blooded King Daniel Hardy uh would like to bring it back with a little special Brady mix you know usually we wake up with Brady now we're uh getting lit with Brady you know I guess <laughs> for this uh, uh triple podcast but there's a problem. Uh, Dr. Tom's favorite player in the whole wide world, Kevin Durant, is no longer a Golden State Warrior, and um, it'd be easy to ask Tom's feelings about that. But let's get a little let's get a little crazy. Right now, we're gonna play a game called Pros and Cons. Ooh. And uh, Tom, I need you to give me the cons of Kevin Durant leaving, and Brady, give me the the, the, the pros. And um, I'm going to judge the winner of this right here, so I can feel better for the Warriors fans. Wow, you just put me right into a position where everyone's going to hate me, huh? Or everyone's <laughs> going to love me, man. Warriors Twitter might be very fine. Yeah, ba- based on what I've heard, I think they might love you more than they'll <laughs> hate you. Uh, but you got to explain, like, pros and cons in terms of uh, what what's best for the Warriors, for KD. Like, I need some more rules. I need some more parameters. Well, this isn't a Kevin this, Durant podcast. This needs to be, this, I need a system established like it's a Steve Kerr offense, okay? <laughs> Uh, we're talking about from the standpoint of the Golden State organization um, and the fan base. What are the um, the pros? No, no, actually, no. For for used to the cons because you really love Kevin Durant. Give me give, give me the cons of Kevin Durant leaving for the Golden State Warriors. So why this is something that the Warriors and Warriors fans should not have wanted. Why exactly. this is not good. Well, number one, it's obviously you're losing a player who is a transcendent talent, who is one of the best players in the league when healthy. That is something that is now a part of the equation. But when healthy and also somebody who is uniquely or per, uh, somewhat uniquely uh, suited to helping the Warriors maximize maximize their potential because of what teams can do as we saw in unfortunately in the finals in terms of defending Steph Curry in terms of uh, defending Clay Thompson when you have a player who yes can go iso uh, and who probably leads into that but who can get a bucket no matter uh you know who's on him whatever the def- other team is throwing at him that he's because he's a seven footer with a handle like a guard can pull up and get the, get his shot that's something that the way the Warriors want to play they should always want that. Um, I'm trying to think of the, you know, you're a player who's been a good, you know, somebody who not to, I don't know, 
move too quickly off the court, but as somebody who is committed to community and supporting it, you know, in his time and just three years in the Bay Area, was very supportive of different charities and initiatives and things like that. So he's somebody who puts his money where his mouth is in terms of where he's playing, in terms of supporting the community. So, And that has to factor in too, but you just keep going back to somebody who is talented and also routinely played his best basketball in the best, toughest, brightest moments. This man is a two-time finals MVP who came up huge. How many times, Tom? That's twice. That's twice. That's twice. That's twice. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, Who came up big in the playoffs. This is somebody with all the vitriol that was uh, directed towards him. It would have been... I don't know if understandable, but there was so much pressure on him to come up big in the playoffs, and he did. He did everything that was asked of him, and that's how can you not want a player who does everything that you would ask of him? So it's it's a huge, huge, huge loss. I don't think, and maybe this will come up later, that this is something the Warriors, they can rebound from it, and I don't think that the rumors of the Warriors' demise is pretty greatly exaggerated. But make no mistake, this is an enormous loss and it's something that not just me as the number one KD stan who isn't a part of his family uh is feeling shout out Tony shout out Tony Durant but that we all should be feeling pretty sad about him leaving while also appreciating that he decided to come play here for three years and deliver us two rings and some of the best basketball any of us will ever watch wow (laughs) How much did Katie Payton say that? Um, no, that that was that was beautiful. There's oh. no check from 35 Ventures in my <laughs> bank account yet. Not I'm even sti- for seven dollars. Oh, oh. <laughs> hey, you saw that jersey he posted? It was the I forget which one it was. The with the Brooklyn with the, the little Coogee one. Yeah, man, that looked good. Lawsuit incoming. Lawsuit. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, uh, Brady Cluffer. Um, I understand that you watched Warriors basketball for some time. In fact, uh, he shared a story with us earlier during one of the lows in summer league when he mentioned that he actually uh, bought two Warriors jerseys back in the day. Who were those players, Brady? The beautiful Ike Diagu. Ike Diagu. And Mike Dunleavy jersey. And Mike, Mike Dunleavy, Dunleavy Jr. jersey. Junior. Yeah. Throwback jersey. Triple XL when I was maybe 130 pounds soaking wet. Um, but they had both been traded. I was broke at a Warriors game where tickets were six dollars. And God, the um, glory days. Couldn't afford glory days indeed. Couldn't afford, you know, like a Jay Rich jersey, because he was on the team. So Ike Dagger and Mike Dunleavy had just been traded and they were doing the like eight dollar sales rack, like not even in the team store, like in the hallway. They were like, We gotta get rid of these. Like you would just be walking along the concourse and they would just have like a row of jerseys just like in the middle that you would run into that are like enormous sign eight dollar jerseys and i'm like man so you bought it on the concourse from bart to the arena is what you're saying <laughs> no, not not that concourse like the concourse like when you're in the arena but you're walking around oh, like yeah. not in a store but just like you could have just like taken one and walked away but like as soon as you look at them someone comes over and is like eight dollars man Mike and you, and you got legend. two you got two of those two. jerseys so wait eight they i thought they'd pay you eight dollars <laughs> to take them not you pay them eight dollars we got it we got to be careful with the mike dunleavy jr slander he is on the warriors payroll now so and we didn't win a title the year that he's on the payroll wow. uh yeah i'm not i'm not, I'm not good at oh, math man, but i'm just i'm now. connecting those dots there so Four with that in mind uh brady is a, a real warriors fan um from day one um so can you please help us out, uh, help Dub Nation? What are the possible pros of Kevin Durant leaving? All right. So 
It's hard to act to follow Tom here, obviously. And Tom is a, laughing and already, by the he way. Is, He's laughing. He is. I mean, I understand it. it. It is slightly comical to think for the pros of of losing a player who was, I think, playing the best basketball in the league at the end of the season prior to the injury, of course. Um, but I think there are a few, of course. Um, there are two sides to every coin. Um, I see two, two big ones, a kind of sentimental pro and a um, practical pro. The sentimental one, I think, is that this team has been fundamentally different since Kevin Durant showed up. And they have been better, without a doubt. Um, but I think for many people, they've been less fun. And that's not an indictment of Durant. It's just a combination of many factors. One is that Durant is most comfortable in a certain system, and Steph Curry is most comfortable in a different system. Is Clay Thompson also comfortable in the same system as Steph Curry? I think he's... I think Clay Thompson is comfortable in any system as long as he's getting his shots up. Like he said, he ain't sacrificing, but as long as he's getting shots and because he's going to move off ball regardless, and he's going to be that secondary look and shots off of the gravity of your superstar players like Curry and Durant. And I think that he is, he would work in any system. I think, you know, you put him with a LeBron James system where it's just running through one player and he's feeding off that gravity. I think he's going to excel. So I think he fit both of those. I think um, maybe he is more comfortable in, the system that Steph Curry is more used to just because that's what they have been building here for a while. Right. Um, but, you know, those different, those contrasting styles, that's not a, a good thing or a bad thing uh, vis-a-vis either of the players. It's just how it goes. They're two of the best players ever, and, they're, and they play in a different way. Well, you know? well you, we say the different way. Could, could you expand a little further on that? Yeah, I mean, certainly in the aftermath of this, we've – We've heard a lot, especially from uh, Marcus Thompson of The Athletic, talking about how you know, Durant wanted the ISOs, and that wasn't what Steve Kerr wanted to run. I don't think Steph Curry would have put up a fight. I think Steph Curry will go with whatever a coach says. Um, so it's not like I think there was resistance from Curry. But Kerr runs an offensive system that's very ball movement heavy, very off-ball – not even ball movement so much as off-ball movement – heavy there's a lot of cutting there are a lot of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson run as much as any player in a game those are all designed reads um whole bunch of floppy action and staggered screens and all that kind of good stuff and what Durant as arguably the greatest isolation scorer in the history of the sport wants to do is get the ball at the elbow look someone in the eyes who he knows he can defeat easily (laughs) and then take it to him which is very understandable but those things are you know they're a little bit of post and I think the Warriors I think Durant Curry and Steve Kerr all did a pretty good job of making those things mesh and bringing out the best of all of them but I think aesthetically something can sometimes be lost when you're trying to compromise instead of going all in on one style uh it worked as far as getting wins and losses, which to the players and to most fans is the most important thing. Um, but I think there were times where it felt like the Warriors were winning more because they had an embarrassment of riches and less than because they were actually playing to the best of their abilities. And I think one of the frustrations for me over the last few years, and again, this doesn't come on Durant. This is largely just part of being a dynasty and being in the middle and latter stages of a dynasty right. is those first two years, that was a magical team. The first Some two years the, of the, the dynasty. Pre-KD years. Pre-KD years. Those, that was a magical team because um, with the exception of 
a few homers and Ethan Sherwood Strauss, nobody thought that team was a championship team before that 2014-2015 season. And Mark Jackson did. <laughs> Mark Jackson did. <laughs> Ethan Strauss called it. And no one else thought, you know, people thought, oh, this would be great. Now we got to we, – we can maybe, maybe compete for like the fourth or the fifth seed. How cool would that be? Right. And then they go and they just kind of obliterate – the le- I mean, I remember, I've told this story on Golden State of Mind before. I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. I've told this story before that I have this very bad habit when I'm following a sports team where I like to take a small sample size and I like to, like, magnify it. Oh, we know. Amplify- Rudy we all- Gobert, yeah. we know. We oh, shut it. up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean a real small sample size here. So I like to, like, look at it like, oh, man, this guy, you know, he scored 20 points in the first quarter. He's on pace to score 80. That'd be crazy because it's just fun for me, even though I know it's unrealistic. And the Warriors that year, you know, they got out in the Steve Kerr era to like a 5-1 and one start or a 5-2 and two start, something like that. They were at the top of the standings. And I was like, man, we're already like 7% of the way through the season, and the Warriors are <laughs> in uh, leading the conference. Like, they could do that. And then in my realism side was like, all right, well, you're being an idiot, Brady. They're obviously <laughs> not going to, you know, finish with the first seed. Let's be real. But they did, and then they won the championship. And then the next year – running back the same team they set the NBA record for wins so there was this this feeling really up until they lost the finals and blew the 3-1 and got the jokes and Draymond called Kevin Durant crying and Kevin Durant joined the team that beat him and all these things that you know everyone latched onto as being funny but up until that point the Warriors were there was a there was a level of mystique and magic to them because it didn't seem like it should be happening and they kept winning when they shouldn't be winning. And once you've established that you're the best team in the league, and then you go and add one of the best players in the league, you can't exceed expectations ever again. You can never do it. And to me, that saps some of the joy just because, like, you beat the Phoenix Suns by, like, 12, and you're like, oh, my God, we only beat the Phoenix Suns by 12? <laughs> and, you know, in the two years preceding that, it was, every win was a win. And once you are just on the top of the throne – now a lot of your wins are almost like moral losses because it's just like, man, this is disappointing. You didn't show up till there were six minutes left in the game. I spent two hours watching you guys not run the plays because you're so bored by how good you are. And, you know, obviously the rings make it all worth it and it's fun. Uh, but aesthetically, there was something lacking to me that magic was lacking. And, again, that's not on Durant. It's part of it, and it's just the natural progression of these things. So I rambled long enough, but I do want to hit the practical part really quickly. Durant, obviously, is going to miss next year with the Achilles injury. He's going to come back in 2020. I think he'll be very good. I'm I'm on that belief that he will be still a great player. Uh, But he'll be 32. Uh, Steph Curry will be 33 then, I believe. Um, Klay Thompson and Draymond Green will be up in their 30s. The Warriors had no choice but to try to extend this core as long as they could. Mm -hmm. But that is going to be a more aging core. And when it finally doesn't work, that's a, a steep drop-off when you've committed everything to your four-man yeah. core. Yeah. And by losing one of the people at the top in the age spectrum and you turn it into a sign-and-trade for a 23-year-old who admittedly I don't think is that good, 
but the rest of the league does. He is a great trade Pros, asset. Brady. Pros, <laughs> All right, sorry, 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 sorry. He's a great trade piece. There we go. He's a great trade piece, and he's 23. So, like, he can be very good. He was the number two pick for a reason. He was an all-star for a reason. All-star. Like, it's not like I think this is a trash player who's going to be a trash player. I think he is an overrated player who has a chance to be really, really good. But you shift one of the guys at the top of your age and the top of your closing window, and you turn it into a guy who is younger, obviously substantially worse. Right. But you, it gives you the chance to be a little more Spursian and to drag out that window and extend it and take a longer-term view. Okay. I'm so sorry. I went no, on No, that was on. great. That was fantastic. Um, you know, it's weird because I feel like both of you guys are completely right, you know, um, in the sense that, I'm sure Tom would argue, like, if the Chicago Bulls in 94 were like, you know, hey, Michael wants to retire. Let's flip him for, you know, Stacey Augman. You know, it'd be <laughs> like, that's insane, Ouch. you know. Um, but at the same time, it's all about uh, perception at this point on from both Katie's camp and the Warriors camp. Uh, I mean, like, Warriors Twitter, Warriors fans. Um, when you say things like, it wasn't as fun, right? You're saying, yeah, we were still winning at an astronomical pace and still winning championships, but it wasn't as fun. That's that's a real perception thing there. And because we're in the entertainment business, that's huge. If you're in the entertainment business and perception starts being like, hey, this isn't as fun as it used to be, that actually matters on a, on a huge level because people are tuning in, spending their money, giving ratings to see whether or not it's like a you know a fun experience. Although on the flip side, as Warriors fans being through 40 years of being trash, more, <laughs> more or less, um, there's also a certain uh, sense of, Oh my gosh, any win we get, I want all of them at, at any cost. And winning championships is fun. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I, I think, uh, kind of going back to what you're saying about the aesthetic or the, you know, the differences or the kind of area I don't know what you call it but I think there is sort of an interesting qu question one can ask or um, think about regarding maybe what the I don't know what you, the not the high point that might not be the right word but kind of what the the moment or the stretch where you think of that was this team at its best and I keep going back to, and this has kind of a way of giving the, you know, why this is such a big loss, that the, the greatest moment uh, for this Warriors team was that 2016-2017 playoffs where they yes. went 16-1. Uh, and one. And, and that was very much a part of that was Durant. And uh, it, it wasn't quite the... the the basketball was different from the, you know, 2015-2016 season, um, just the way it was played. But that was probably just for mime as somebody who's watched basketball for a long time and thinks a lot about this stuff. That's when I say like, what was the most dominant team that was, was clicking on all cylinders and playing the best. That's the team I'm going to point to is that 2016, 2017 warriors during that playoff run. I don't think, and the only reason they lost that one game was because Cleveland in that game four just went bananas in a way that will probably never be replicated again from a uh, three point range. And so uh, 
that's the thing I keep coming back to when it's because I I think there is something to be said about the the aesthetic differences and that in 2015 2016 it was maybe a little more fun whatever like I can understand that in some way but the 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 dominance that was also incredibly entertaining like you go back and you watch that game three in Cleveland in 2017 like that is a fun game and that but it was just seeing this team at the that was the I and maybe it was all downhill from that season because I think that was the dream that started in 2015 that was kind of the realization of it and that's funny to say that about after a team wins a title in 2015 that they can still go higher but I think the sort of the perfect idea of what that the Warriors could be was that 2017 playoff run and so maybe it was always going to eventually be downhill from there but that's something I keep coming back to when we talk about well this is different maybe it was different maybe it was more um I don't know, methodical or that sense of like, oh, they're just going to use six good minutes, uh, you know, when it was the 2017, 2018, 2019 team, they'd use six good minutes to beat another team and it would kind of be, it would lose some of that joy. But that twenty that 2017 playoffs, that when you talk about experiencing joy, that was some of the best basketball I think any of us will ever watch. And there has to be something said for that being something special and something to just be sort of reveled in that we want you know I've also come to the conclusion that the Hamptons five that is the best five-man lineup that I think any of us will ever see I'm taking them over the 96 Bulls your various and sundry Lakers and Celtics whomever that team was it was just a monster and so just while maybe it wasn't as again in like fun in that sort of freewheeling whatever way that 2015 2016 was um like i said that 2017 playoffs that was something special and durant was such an enormous part of what made that so special and i think to add on to that the the specialness of the pre durant teams that didn't translate fully to the playoffs at any point, even when they won the championship. That style, playoff teams kind of choked that a little bit and forced them away from that a little bit. And that in that 2017 playoffs, you know, that showed how important Durant was yeah. because it took a team that was historically great in the regular season, but really during that two-year span, even when healthy, they never really dominated in the playoffs. And then they dominated in 2017 because all of a sudden you have playoff teams that are game planning for you and forcing you away from those things that make you comfortable. And hey, now they're forcing you right into arguably the best player of all time in that specific thing that they're forcing you into. Right. And that's a lot of fun. And and it, it created kind of the ideal blend, I think, came in that playoffs. Well, I think that had to do with the level of stakes. And I think that's the saddest thing about to me about Kevin Durant leaving is the idea that um, when the stakes were highest, we knew we weren't going to lose um, because of the versatility that the team had. Um, it was crazy in both game threes in Cleveland. Steph and Clay were, you know, kind of out of sorts because of the same thing you talked about, where they're trapping Steph at half court. They're top locking down Clay, and it's like, okay, so you trap the point guard, and you swung it to Clay, and you top locked him, so he had to kick it down to the post, or a seven foot monster is waiting to destroy you. And it was like, oh, we can't lose. So 
um, though, that that was a, a surreal kind of thing as a fan to watch, where you realize like, oh, this is where it matters the most. When you know it's Game Six against the Houston Rockets, you know, uh, last year, it's like, oh wait, like we're down 15 at the halftime. It's like, don't worry, we'll kick it into gear, and you're seeing the most high level basketball possible with the highest stakes on the line. But it also goes back to your point earlier. The team was so good. It's it's not Western Conference Finals or Finals energy most nights. So most nights are kind of going through the motions, doing their can, and the other teams are getting 110%. So you're kind of just watching the Warriors not be the Warriors until that six-minute burst where they both team out the water. Um, so I guess that's, again, a, a preference of your cup of tea. Um, but then, the, of course, the, the next question is, um, with a guy like Kevin Durant leaving and taking most of the fanfare, how do you feel about a guy like Andre Iguodala being a casualty of that where – here was a guy who was here, you know, from the beginning, you know, like got it from the mud, was there under Mark Jackson, you know what I mean? Benched, you know, in favor of Harrison Barnes and took it like without complaining for the, the good of the team. I think it's it's kind of unfortunate, but maybe emblematic of Andre Iguodala's career as a warrior that Kevin Durant leaves and we're like, oh, you know, Katie articles, Katie articles. And then quite quietly, oh, Iguodala's trade to Memphis so we can, we can say, save some money to get like Willie Colley signed or, or, or D'Lo. And um, I'm just wondering what, what you guys' thoughts are about having a guy who did everything you could ask for, but silently, all of a sudden, not being part of the team. I mean, going back to, you know, I mentioned the 20, that 2017 playoffs being kind of the full realization of this idea. I was talking with Brady a little bit about this earlier, but just it was one of those things I remember was that 2013 offseason when the news started breaking that Andre Godala was going to sign to the Warriors. And it felt it was a it felt really big. And that's something that I mean, is it shows how important and what a big part of all of this, the this run he was. And so it is and it is kind of emblematic that it sort of happened in some ways. Kind of, Yeah, like, OK, we have to move him to free up cap space and it is a very felt like a very uh monetary decision that it's but it's sort of under the radar but that again that's kind of the nature of Iguodala especially in this uh Warriors form with the Warriors is just sort of under the radar but I think you saw uh, a, a real appreciation for what he did and how important he was in Warrior, you know the that that monstrosity that is Warriors Twitter, and you saw that in sort of the thing, the way things are talked about. That like there was this appreciation that I don't, I think on a lot of other teams and a lot of other fan bases who moved on a player who was really as important as Iguodala was for the Warriors, there wouldn't be that same appreciation. So I think that both, yes, that it sort of happened in a sort of a slight way that it was okay. We've got to just move. This is very much a numbers game. Like there is that undervalued part that kind of goes with the Godala, but also you saw this appreciation for amongst the people who know and who are, who are as unknowledgeable as a lot of Warriors fans that what he did to come here and everything he gave and how important he was like he is an enormous part of why there are three banners up there and why his number is going to be retired when he retires that you can't tell the story of this team and this run without him and and I think the fact that people appreciated that it's that and that's that speaks to sort of the way that a lot of these warriors like they can appreciate basketball and appreciate what how special in a unique way Iguodala was and so I almost think that is more emblematic of who he is than saying oh he just sort of moved he got moved on in this sort of nonchalant or sort of minor way yeah, I had 
kind of mixed feelings, to be honest, about about the whole situation. Because from a sentimental standpoint, obviously, it's it's hard. It's a little bit of a hard thing to reconcile. You're you're losing a player who has been one of not just one of the most important players on the court, but really some of the heart and soul of the team during this run right. on the court, in the locker room, in the media, everything. He's been he's been kind of synonymous with this dynasty of Warriors basketball. Finals MVP. Finals MVP. Uh, a guy who has uh, helped the young players grow as men, as teammates, and as basketball players, um, who has given some of the best quotes, some of the best highlights. Just, you know, he's absolutely needs to have his jersey retired, as, as he will, as the Warriors announced. And, and that's, you know, what else can you say about a guy that comes here for six years and, and emphatically needs to have his jersey retired? But the flip side of it to me was that we see so often in sports teams try to hold on to things, try to hold on to sand as it sifts through their fingers, and they're just convinced, hey, this is going to work, this is going to work, and it's not going to work. The Warriors just lost the NBA Finals. Admittedly, they were injured, but they lost the NBA Finals, and then you go and lose one of the best players in the world, arguably the best player on your team. You can't just sit there and watch Kevin Durant leave and say, hey, everything's fine. We won a championship without him before. That's not how it works. They, when that happens, you need to shift. And you can keep your core as they did with Steph and Dre and Clay, but you need to change things. You need to have that be a giant red light flashing that the status quo ain't going to work. You need to mix things up. So Andre Iguodala was, was a necessary casualty, unfortunately, just financially, if you wanted to get D'Angelo Russell. And then we've seen it really kind of wholesale through the rest of the roster. You know, they signed Willie Cauley-Stein and Glenn Robinson. Those guys are 25 years old. We're used to seeing, you know, Jonas Urebko and Swaggy Pete. Admittedly, they signed Alec Burks, who's an older guy. They traded Damian Jones for a slightly younger and more um, inexperienced player in Omari Spellman. In the last few years, they've only had one draft pick that they bought in the second round. This year, they bought two in addition to their first rounder. They got three draft picks. Used one of them on an 18-year-old. We're seeing this huge shift as they try to keep that window open and they try to slightly retool. And to me, that was comforting because kind of just running it back sans Kevin Durant. uh, As good of a team as that still would be, that's kind of depressing to me. And I would rather them recognize that things need to change than to have them have a disappointing year, a first or second round exit, and then Andre Iguodala's contract expires and he kind of fades away in a less dramatic manner. Right. I mean, it's this is this is certainly not an original thought, but the Spurs are the model for this Warriors and what the Spurs have done and kind of continue to keep doing is what the Warriors are trying to do in terms of how they manage a sort of an extended run and I think that they're, you know, I can't think of the exact player off the top of my head, but this is, I saw them like, yeah, this is something like the Spurs would have done. Like, yeah, they'd have, you know, they had Duncan Parker and Ginobili, but those sort of the players, even if they were very important and major contributors to title winning teams, if it came, I mean, you you know, look at, I'm thinking back to that 2003 Spurs team and like Steven Jackson, who came up in, in, 
it's obviously this isn't the same. He was a younger player. Andre Iguodala is much more of a veteran, et cetera, et cetera. But he was a major player on that 2003 team. But they, you know, it was kind of okay. You got to move on from him. And so I think if you're looking at the Spurs as the model, it makes sense. It's it. it no, nobody's happy about it. Like you, certain like nobody's. It's not what you want, but it's sort of the reality of just how to be great for an extended period of time and have winning multiple championships over a long period of time. And so it's something that you just kind of are reconciled to, I guess. And so when that news came out, it was like, on the one hand, it was you know sad because you're losing this other member of this core that was so great. But also it's like, yeah, that I see it and that makes sense. But it's just it's just how it is. Well, you know, I might have to counter you guys here because uh, if you look at the game six, uh, first of all, let's go back to a series before that, right? So Kevin Durant goes down. Andre Iguodala gets more playing time. Warriors miss a beat. That's pretty ridiculous to lose Kevin Durant and the team didn't lose a game until the finals. Additionally, okay. what's that? I'd, I'd just like to remind us of the teams that they played during that stretch. It was one game against uh, the fraudulent Houston Rockets. Oh, no. And then... Uh, <laughs> Who were favored to win that game at home, by the way. They were favored to win. Yes, and they're frauds. <laughs> look, look, uh, look, favorites and odds, that's not about who's better, who's worse. You talk... Clint Capella. That's all I need to say. <laughs> Rocket Slender's always appreciated. Here we go, folks. Um, there we go. Continuing on, um, who was it that picked Dame's pocket to seal game one? That was Andre Iguodala. So he was stopping an MVP candidate one-on-one, no help, right? Then we go to uh, the finals. Who hits the dagger to seal game two? Andre Iguodala. In game six, the second leading scorer on the Warriors, Steph Curry wasn't that guy. It was Andre Iguodala, the second leading scorer in an elimination game. Like, I think there's still a lot of uh, tread in that tire. And, you know, maybe he had one year left. And we know he's not a regular season guy um, as far as he's not going to play a lot of big, big, big minutes. But in the playoffs, he's literally right now one of the best big-time playoff performers. And if we're talking about the postseason, who would you want more than Andre Iguodala? Now, I know he's long in the tooth, but if you're talking about, like, you know, Spursian, Mano Ginobili was 40 years old with the ball spot going out there playing 30 minutes in the playoff game. You know I mean, it seems real spursing to keep Andre Iguodala at that point. I don't appreciate this uh, disrespect being paid to people with bald spots, <laughs> but I, mean, I, um, I, I definitely understand your point, though. Seriously, I mean, but, if, if you can get a twenty-three-year-old all-star, you gotta do it. But I feel like we may have taken what Andre did this postseason for granted because I don't know many players who come off the bench and plug in Kevin Durant's spot. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely worth every penny of that. You know, seventeen point two million or whatever that he has. Coming and uh, I, I'm sure that the Warriors made that move, and that it hurt them not just um, from a emotional standpoint, but from a player standpoint. I mean, there's no doubt he's a huge part of the team, and they did not want to lose him. Unfortunately, right. you know, he or Draymond Green were the only players that financially you could do that for right. and still make the move. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just to be clear, he, he's worth every dollar of the contract. Uh, he's a guy they would absolutely adore to still have. Um, and who knows if he decides to, to keep playing after this year, I could see him retiring, but I could see him coming back for, you know, another a year or two. And, and if the Warriors are in a good place, then I'm sure they would, you know, be interested in him, uh, coming back next summer. Um, but I maybe this is a little pessimistic. I think as good as they have a chance to be this year, that this is not a year where they're going to be 
close enough to winning a championship that they should be prioritizing the players that maximize that. I'm not saying they don't have a chance, right? Uh, but I think it's a low enough chance that you don't really have a choice but to prioritize the next five years right. rather than the next it's year. It's a team that, yeah, is not built to get the most out of Andre Iguodala or that right. what right. he does, it just, you won't see the the best return on it. And so it it's tough, but it it, it, it makes sense. It's, now, you know, I said all that to set up my next question because now we're basically being like, hey, D'Angelo Russell, <laughs> you know, we got rid of Andre Iguodala for you in a way. Um, now, I know a lot of folks are saying he's merely a trade chip, you know, for down the road, but... As you said before, Brady, a 23-year-old all-star, you know, who's uh, kind of growing up in his game right now. Um, let's play a little pros and cons. <laughs> yes. Okay. The official okay. game of Las Vegas Summer League <laughs> Golden State Warriors podcasting. Well, once you get the brews going, everything's a pros and cons. You know, do we stay up till 4 a.m. drinking or we go to bed for work? You know, I mean, it's a tough question. Okay. Life is a series of pros and cons. Um, Ooh, deep words from Dr. Tom. <laughs> this, this is why they let you teach. <laughs> <laughs> you drop the gems, <laughs> um, Tom. Yeah, what's the the, the 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 pro of bringing in D'Angelo Russell to the Golden State Warriors right now? I mean, it's just an, another offensive threat that teams have to recognize. I think it's somewhat. I mean, it's that's that to me is almost even bigger than the his the sort of youth and that he's perhaps a little though. I think you know Brady would say he's probably a little overrated, but also he might be overrated, but he's also little undervalued too but I think that we saw what happened unfortunately in game three of the finals and for the sort of last fourth quarter of game six of the finals what happens when it's Steph and out there with not much in the way of other offensive weapons that a team has to kind of consistently respect like Draymond is a great player and a great offensive player but it's it's not the same if especially if Clay is not out there and now that Durant has moved on. So I think that having somebody who can get buckets and that the other defense has to at least pay some attention to is you have to have that so that they can't throw three and four guys at Steph. Because if you do that, then just everything's gonna grind to a halt. So I think that that to me, when I saw that, I was like, this makes perfect sense. And I think it's a good move, especially with Clay Thompson out, because he can be that guy uh, if he's obviously if he's out there. But without Clay, there's not anyone else. And so getting somebody as perhaps imperfect as he might be, that's going to be vital for freeing up Steph. And I think, you know, it it never hurts to have a player who's young and still developing, but has shown potential to be great he had probably his best season of his so he's tr at least trending upward he was an all-star admittedly as a, a a replacement for Oladipo but there's talent there and if and the Warriors have shown that they've been able with whether it's with um, you know role players like JaVale McGee or Nick Young and even with a lot of DeMarcus Cousins uh, during his uh, year here uh, um that they can get the system and the culture that they can get the most out of players who there are questions about. And so I think that if any organization and any culture is suited, best suited to maximizing the potential of D'Angelo Russell, I think it's going to be the Warriors. And so I don't just see this as a, I mean, they might move on from him next off season. I don't know, but I don't, 
just see this as a, you know, as a kind of a trade chip or just an asset. I think that might be part of it, but I also see them there to be real reasons why you would want this player on the team. And also that the warriors and the coaching staff and the culture and the players could get the most out of him and perhaps realize that idea of Russell that everybody thought might be there when he was drafted number two. Okay. Um, hmm, wow. That's actually pretty good prose. Like you, you, you really made him sound. I know. I, I, I'm, it's, I'm, it's surprising when I make a good point. <laughs> okay, because a lot of NBA Twitter was firmly in the con section of this. Um, well, you know how I feel about NBA Twitter. But... <laughs> Warrior Twitter, basically. That too. <laughs> Brady, um, now I know you are rooting and, and you like um, D'Angelo Russell. You're rooting for him. But can you give me a, a clue as to what a lot of people who are maybe detracting from him might be thinking about this move? Yeah, yeah. And and just to kind of be clear here, I, I've said a lot of things that are kind of detracting from D'Angelo Russell, both on our website and, and on Twitter. Um, I think that most people view him in a little bit of a higher light than I do. Um, and with that said, I still think it's a good move. I still think it's a very good move um, for kind of all, all the reasons I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Durant and, and Iguodala is I think these are the kind of moves you have to make. So uh, despite the cons I'm going to lay out, uh, I am on board with the Warriors strategy here. But. Um, <laughs> but. So, I mean, there are a few things. First off, just from a team building standpoint, uh, there is a really big opportunity cost. It's not just getting something in exchange for losing Durant and making the most out of that. They had to give a first-round pick to Brooklyn to facilitate that sign-and-trade. They had to give a first-round pick to Memphis to get them to take on Andre Iguodala's contract. And you lost Andre Iguodala as well, who is a valuable player for this year, like we just said, and who perhaps would have been uh, more valuable as a trade asset maybe at the trade deadline or something if the season wasn't going right there's right. a chance that you could have used him to help acquire somebody else or something um so so there's a big opportunity cost there it's, it's not just a straight up kevin durant for you know d'angelo russell trade <laughs> right, right, right. or anything of that nature um but then just from a player standpoint um i mean i think he's been overrated because in large part because he his kind of gaudy per-game statistics are not necessarily backed up by particularly good uh, advanced metrics or um, efficiencies. He is a volume scorer, but he scores at below league average efficiency. Um, so he has so many skills offensively. He can do mesmerizing things in the pick and roll, which could be huge if it gets Steve Kerr to understand what the concept of a pick and roll is and that it is a legal play in the NBA. Um, I love you, Steve Kerr, but it is kind of funny that I think it's going to take getting D'Angelo Russell and Willie Colley sign on the roster for the team to start calling pick and rolls. Um, and maybe we could have done that with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, half playful Steve Kerr slander aside, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell has so many tools offensively. He, he has a great jump shot. He is in great control coming off of a screen as the ball handler. 
Uh, he has that kind of, I, I know you guys like to slander him, but there are some good things to James Harden. He has that James Harden ability when moving north-south to kind of slow down, hesitate, not just move in one speed at all times. Right. He understands the timing, the patience, the hesitation. Uh, so all those things are, are huge. And yet despite that, um, between his shot selection and some of the weaknesses in his offensive game, he's still scoring the ball with less efficiency than the average NBA player, which is not great. Um, <laughs> you know, but again, you know, not to be throwing the pros in here, but when you have the tools and you're 23 and now you're going to a great coach playing alongside arguably the greatest player of all time at your position, you're going to learn things that are going to improve that efficiency. Right. He is still very young. So I'm optimistic about that. But, you know, that to me is the biggest con is that right now he he is a carpenter with a lot of tools and not a lot of training. The carpenter. I like, a, then, I like it, a good metaphor. It has to, <laughs> and then it, it has to be pointed out he's not a particularly good defensive player. He was better last year than in his first few years when he was really bad. Um, you know, so he's not a disastrous defensive player, but he's not a particularly good defensive player. And you're playing alongside in a backcourt next to Steph Curry, who is, I think, a decent defensive player, but he's very limited. You know, he can only guard point guards. He's not a guy who you can put on, on a shooting guard. And his workload is tremendous. And his workload is tremendous. And so it's going to be a, a probably not very good defensive backcourt. And that has a trickle effect, right? Because that puts that much more pressure on Draymond Green and Kevon Looney and Willie Cauley-Stein to be defending the interior. And when Klay Thompson comes back, now Klay Thompson is spending a lot of time guarding small forwards instead of shooting guards, and that's a more physically taxing thing for him, right. which has a role on the offensive end. So, you know, there's a little bit of a domino effect there. Um, so I think that, that those are the cons for me. I think those are the cons for a lot of people is just that um, I think a lot of people see D'Angelo Russell as a – player whose value and hype have been amplified by the fact that he was the second overall pick played for the Los Angeles Lakers and um, was an all-star this year. And with all due respect to him, I don't think he should have been an all-star like Tom said, like Tom said, he was a replacement and you know, in my opinion, that replacement spot should have gone to Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler, Eric Bledsoe, one of those guys. Um, and that's not to hate on because there are so many people that deserve to be all-stars that don't get named it. So it's not like he doesn't deserve it. I think other people deserved it a bit more than he did. But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, you take Rudy the all-star Gobert. <laughs> Rudy Gobert. No, he exactly. said deserved yes. it, not does not deserve it. Rudy Gobert, it. absolutely, should have been an all-star. But that is another topic for another day with different people. <laughs> I feel attacked. But the boy being like, I, I think he got more um, – I think he got more hype and more money and more value from the average person because of the second overall pick and the all-star game than he would have if he had been, you know, the 12th pick and didn't make the cut for the all-star game. Right. And I think people will be like, oh, this is a super talented 23-year-old who might still develop. Right. And instead we're seeing it as like, oh, this is a young all-star who was the second overall pick. That's crazy. Right, right, and, right. And that changes our perception a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, with that in mind, you know, we're looking at a couple other youngsters uh, for Summer League because we are on site here. Um, obviously, we're talking about a brand new team. We're talking about losing 
superstar in Kevin Durant. We're talking about losing a Hall of Famer, I believe, in Andre Iguodala. Uh, we're taking on um, young fella D'Angelo Russell. Uh, as far as what you see right now for Summer League, what have you seen uh, from the roster as far as an addition that you say, okay, this guy is going to be a major player next year? You want it? Ready to go Sure, first. yeah. Well, the thing that I've noticed most, and, and perhaps it's a little bit wish casting, but uh, Jacob Evans, to me, looks uh, night and day different than he did in Summer League last year. Uh, he, Summer League comes with a lot of caveat, caveats. Um, you kind of have to take everything with an enormous grain of salt. Um, we have seen a lot of players have amazing summer leagues and then fall flat on their face during the year. Patrick McCaw, before his second year, was one of the best players in summer league. The human Lonzo three Ball P. was summer league MVP by a mile his rookie year. Not that Lonzo Ball fell on his face, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but, but Jacob Evans uh, last year looked completely lost. Looked like a guy where if you were watching the game, and you didn't pay attention to the draft, you would have no clue that this was a guy who had been drafted, no clue that this was a guy even on anyone's radar. Every right. summer league team has like five or six guys that know going into summer league that there is no chance they're playing anywhere other than like Lithuania next year, and this is just an opportunity f to keep working on their game. And I don't mean that as— Shout out to the, Lith the Lithuanian yeah, basketball league I'm not, right I'm now. I'm not trying to be an ass by saying that, it's, it's, but it's just, you know, the summer league, there are like three components, right? There are the players that are for sure going to be on NBA rosters. There are the players that are trying to make NBA rosters. And there's the filler because you can't only have six players on your basketball team, so you have to pay someone to come play with you this summer. Right. And it's a good opportunity for them, but they, they don't have any, you know, they, they know the drill. They understand. And that's what Jacob Evans looked like last year. <laughs> like, if you did Jeez. not know, you – and that's not – that's honestly not hyperbolic. He was dealing with an injury, so that's part of it. But he could not make a basket to, to save his soul. His defense was horrendous. He could not beat anyone off the dribble. He did not look like a player who deserved to be fighting for an NBA spot. Right. And this year, he's, he's looked really good. He's – he, his jump shot looks a little bit better. He has been able to take guys off the dribble. He has had good timing and intuition setting up his teammates. And he's done some really good things defensively. And Steve Kerr made it very clear. He was on the Tim Kawakami podcast a while ago, um, right after the season ended, before the Kevin Durant news. And, and, and Kerr basically said, this is going to be a developmental year for us, uh, for the most part, more than anything. We're going to work on developing. Jacob Evans is going to get a chance to play point guard. Uh, we're going to see what happens. And... Uh, to me, again, with the big grain of summer league salt, he looks like a player who deserves to go into the year getting 15, 18 minutes a night, running some second unit sets, guarding some good twos and threes, and, and seeing what he might be able to contribute towards the next Warriors window. Yeah, I mean, you, the kind of the obvious player, the you know, the one that stands – not just stands out, but you know, as you would expect is that this year's first round draft pick, Jordan Poole, who has looked good, uh, especially in the uh, last game in the uh, summer league finals rematch against the Raptors. Um, but I, you know, a little bit, a little on the nose, a little easy. So I'm gonna go with this, maybe something a little under the radar. I've been have been impressed with uh, it's Kai Bowman, right? Um, I've been impressed with him. Uh, in sort of and again preface everything by saying you know it's I'm aware it's summer league and you take these things with big grain of salt even though that might dehydrate you and in the desert that's not what you want to do <laughs> but 
I've been kind of impressed with him. He's obviously not not someone that you would expect to even get those sort of Jacob Evans minutes, but maybe as the way I saw him as being kind of a I don't know the way, but like a reverse Quinn Cook, uh, ex- instead of the offense which C- Quinn Cook brought, uh, it would be sort of this defense because I you saw a lot. He had a good sort of defensive intensity, uh, and he was out there and he was really hustling and trying to staying with his man, and that was something that uh, kind of stood out to me in the games, I, the Warriors games I've watched. Um, and he could still he still was able to get some buckets. So he's someone who he might not make. Maybe he's somebody you put on a two way contract. But he's someone who I thought, okay, this is someone that you get him, you maybe you play him in the G League and you give him a chance to come up every once in a while and get those, I guess they'd be third point guard minutes. Um, but someone that I think between the kind of the hustle and intensity and all those other kind of cliches that we all hate but also end up using, um, I think he's somebody who could maybe stick and get some run and then playing in a, you know, to go back to some of the other stuff we're saying with a great culture and a coach and coaches who want to develop this talent in this sort of developmental time where they're just trying to trying to piece together rosters. He's someone who I could see catching on and maybe this being uh, the first step into uh, him becoming, you know, sort of a rotation player and sort of a middle middle to end of the bench player i feel like i'm still stinging from the the finals loss where um we just needed anyone in the warriors jersey to hit an open jump shot and um when i came to summer league i was looking for someone like could any of these guys have stepped in and played and um obviously from the you know way they're drafted they're not those guys yet um but the guy that i believe could have made the most impact is definitely pool because he's the only guy in summer league who can get downhill right now. Like he's actively looking to beat his man off of dribble and get to the rim. Have trouble finishing. Obviously he's six, 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 five. I think, um, have some trouble with the trees there, but in terms of, uh, his impact, that's a guy I can see like, okay, the ball is swinging around. It's going back and forth. I feel like Evans in his second year of the league is still kind of mechanical and it's kind of ro- robotic. And when he gets it, he's like, I'm thinking, what's the right play? And we talk- talked about that. Guys who catch the ball and go to the elbow. Or, you know, I'm sitting on the screen here. And it's kind of like I'm making Coach happy. While Poole's kind of like stopping feeling the game out and um, kind of le- imposing his will in the game. And I think that's pretty crucial for a team that, you know, basically without Ke- Kevin Durant or Iguodala and for a long time with Clay being out, you're going to need some dynamic playmakers who, you know, aren't Draymond Green, you know what I mean, or Steph Curry. Um, I hope that Evans gets that comfortable. But right now when I look at him, I don't think point guard. I think he's an off guard who can do a little something with the ball. Um, he can knock down a shot. But as far as a ball handler, which the Warriors sorely need, because um, even Quinn Cook last year, he can dribble, but he was spotting up most of the time. And even when he had the opportunity to take the reins over, he was kind of kicking it, you know, and waiting for the ball to come back to you. Um, with the way the league is now, if the defense knows that you won't hold them accountable and, you know, get them to the rim where you can get fouled or, you know, draw two, kick it out, then you're going to get stagnant. And now we're looking at boxing one territory again. And I, I swear, if we see another boxing one on the Golden State Warriors, Steve Green's be fired. I'm sorry. That's just not I'm playing Steve. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame when they can pull out a high school defense and it work because you don't have anyone else who can dribble the ball. So, um I'm looking to, to pool um, to have an, an impact in that way. Um, but although I believe Evans is the, the furthest along, I mean, he should be. He's the second year in the league. Um, but I feel like pool has the, the, a special something that can help us um, for sure. Um, now, outside of the Warriors, a lot of big moves, a lot of speculation, a lot of sources, you know. Um, uh, sauces. Sauces. 
who do you guys feel had the best offseason and why? Team-wise? Team-wise. Clippers, hands down. Hands down Clippers. I mean, anytime you go and you get Kawhi Leonard, who I think has a very, very, very strong argument to be the best player in the league right now, then you go and you get Paul George, who was a top three in MVP voting a year ago, and you do it without sacrificing your – I mean, they, they give up a lot in draft picks, obviously. Um, and, it, you know, it hurts to lose a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. But you're not really crying over Shea Gilgis-Alexander when you <laughs> sign Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Right. Um, but other than that, and then, you know, Danilo Gallinari's contract, they still managed to build all this depth around the team. They, they kept Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. They re-signed Patrick Beverly. They re-signed J. Michael Green. Um, they have got a ridiculously stacked, deep team. Avika Zubac, they re-signed him for, I believe, four years. So matching up with the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George timelines there. So, you know, it's not like the Lakers who gave up, you know, the Lakers had a great offseason, obviously, but they gave up everything to pair Anthony Davis with LeBron James, and then they're left trying, trying to fill in the pieces, which they've done a decent job in parts and a horrible job in other parts. Uh, the Clippers managed to bring in this, this two-headed dragon while keeping a lot of the things that made them a dangerous playoff team a year ago and building onto it. Uh, and, you know, they went from an eighth seed a year ago, a first-round exit, to, in my opinion, the title favorites. So that's, that's the big winner for me. Yeah, I think there's a very good argument for the Clippers, and almost that is probably my answer, but just for the sake of keeping it interesting, I won't say that. Um, you might expect me to say the Nets because they oh, did get I, I'll, be, I'll be so upset if you said the Nets. I'll be so <laughs> but, upset with you. But, I, you know, with, with Durant not playing this year, I think that, that you know, they're going to get some good returns on that. But I think if we're just talking about what team had the best offseason and sort of will have the immediate impact, I really do think the Sixers had a good offseason. Um, mm. <laughs> retaining Tobias Harris is important. And I'm not a big Al Horford fan. I think. Kind of just he's, he kind of leaves me, I don't know, wanting. But I think on that team with the sort of size and length that they could put out for their, uh, you know, a closing lineup, it's really going to be formidable in the Eastern Conference, especially, you know, if they end up getting matched up with a team like the uh, Bucks in like the conference finals or something. I think that, that, you know, it'll be tough for even a player as great as Giannis to deal with that. And I'm somebody who... Uh, and this is, you know, I know that there are probably you know, stats and things that could be pointed to, you know, to kind of push back against this. But just my sense of of Jimmy Butler is he's never he's been somebody who I've never been a big fan of. I've always sort of questioned it that if he might be a little bit in terms of the great play in the top players in the league. So we're already talking about a very sort of small bunch. But if he's a little overrated, so I don't see the loss of him, perhaps as great as maybe somebody else, but I look at what the Bucks did, getting Harris, resigning Harris, getting somebody like Horford, who I think uh, will fit in well. And when you have, uh, you know, when he's playing kind of the third or fourth option, whatever, Ben behind Simmons and Embiid, um, even though Ben Simmons can't hit a three-pointer, can't shoot a three-pointer, just hates the three-point line, I don't know. But I look at them and I think that's a team that, you know, they might be the favorites in the Western Conference this year. I mean, I don't think that's a particularly... Philly moved to the West? 
Did I say what Jesus? <laughs> Too much Henny. Uh, I'm just, you know. No, I can me. vouch for that. That's a lot of Henny. In the Eastern Conference, excuse me. Oh, wow. That's bad. Uh, well, we'll leave that in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think they were in the Eastern Conference this year, which I probably isn't particularly hot or controversial take or anything like that. But I don't know. I, th- I, I, so I, but I will say the Sixers as the team having the best offs have that had the best off season, even yeah. though the Nets did get the best player in the league. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think Clippers are definitely probably the team that most folks are just like terrified of, um, Th- that you're terrified of. I, I saw, I saw the gold blooded King at his, the gold blood was drained after seeing, <laughs> Signing Kawhi Leonard and then trading for Paul George. That was a shock, man. Like, that was a shock. And picturing them with Pat Beverly and Montrezl Harrell. And and Lou Will? Sweet Lou. (laughs) Man, just the the gold blood drain from you. And I was was worried. Like, I was looking up hotlines to, like, where can I get you the help? (laughs) Well, that was until we got Willie Cauley Stein. Now I'm back on the the train. There we go. Um, That that, that was the missing piece. I feel like. Philly is probably the most intriguing choice because they're basically going with the lineup of all centers. Like, you know, amazing. Like, no need for small balls. Everyone is 6'10 or taller. See what happens. So I'm fascinated to see what that's going to be like. Although I feel like it's going to end with, damn, somebody went to a 2-3 zone and they couldn't shoot their way out of it. I feel like something along those lines. Um, but uh, I think the Clippers um, answered kind of depends on one thing. How healthy do you think Billy Cousins is going to be next year? Because, you know, he's finally – in the full summer to you know reactivate if boogie cousins is boogie cousins and you have him with anthony davis that is a terrifying team that's like even without lebron they were really good with just them and rondo and drew holiday it was like oh snap watch out for the pelicans so now you're giving them lebron and uh, you know some championship pedigree and quinn cook and javelle um if boogie cousins is back to being who he is um the Clippers won't have an answer for that. Like Montrezl Harrell isn't going to lock up Boogie. You know what I mean? So um, I, I think his health is a big question mark. Um, if he's who, the guy he was last year for us, I got, got the Clippers, but um, don't sleep on Boogie. I want to, you know, do, give Brady a little ISO ball. Brady, what do you think about the uh, Lakers signing uh, Rajon Rondo to a two-year contract? <sighs> Do you want me to say exactly what I said on Twitter? Please do. They got him on a two-year contract, which is funny because they could have had him on a one-year contract. And they got they had him on a one-year contract, that would have been funny because they could have had him on a zero-year contract. I'm and sorry. He's, he's, he's a horrible point guard. He is a horrible <laughs> fit on the Lakers. You have – I'm sorry. He can't play defense anymore. He can't shoot from outside of like three feet. <laughs> Teams know the scouting report on him at, to this point. He's one of the few players that teams actually defend in the regular season the way you would defend him in the playoffs where they actually dare him to shoot that. I mean, there was that game last year where where I can't remember who the Lakers were playing, but they just flat out refused to put anyone even remotely near Rondo. And Rondo took like seven of the Lakers' first nine shots, and they were all jumpers, and he made maybe one of them. And you saw, like, Luke Walton and LeBron James both kind of, like, after each miss being like, yeah, they're going to leave you open. Keep shooting. Keep shooting. And then, like, three minutes in, and he's, like, one for seven, and they're getting destroyed. And Luke Walton finally is like, I got to take this guy out of the game. <laughs> I, I just – I don't think – he was such a mesmerizing player for the Celtics when he was younger, and it was a different era of basketball. I do not think he's an NBA player right now. I just – 
I don't see what he does. I don't think I don't see what he does well. This is your fault, Tom. This is your and, fault. And, and that is why I don't believe in the Lakers offseason. Like that whoo. And I don't care the reports you're saying, oh, LeBron James is gonna be the point guard for this team, Chris Haynes. Well that would happen regardless. Yeah, but he, oh, they're, they're gonna they're gonna give Rajon Rondo minutes. And that The Achilles heel is Rajon Rondo. I mean uh, I know it's you know we're, we're probably repeating ourselves because the thing could have been that could have been said for any number of seasons in the past, <laughs> but um, but that's a that, that's a team wide problem for the Lakers in my opinion. I think their their ceiling is very high. If things break well for them, they'll be great. Uh, LeBron James, until we see him fall through in the playoffs, I'm not willing to um, say that he's not still perhaps the best player in the world. Uh, obviously, Anthony Davis is great, but you're you're Defensive point guards are Jean Rondo and Quinn Cook, and those guys are not good defensive players. Uh, you're relying a lot on Kyle Kuzma, who is a, a very poor defensive player. Uh, Boogie Cousins, even if Boogie does rebound um, and become a really good player again, he's never been a particularly good defensive player, and he's certainly not a good defensive player against modern defenses because he can't switch onto a smaller player and anytime he's on the floor if he's on the floor with your starters now you're moving anthony davis from the five to the four which he probably will be anyway because if javel mcgee's on there but anthony davis is worse defensively as a power forward than as a center so you move him down to a worse slot that moves lebron james down to small forward lebron james is worse defensively as a small forward than as a power forward i it's it's going to be a rough defensive team in my opinion despite getting anthony davis who's one of the best defensive players in the league but I, I don't really see much plus defensive talent on that team outside of Anthony Davis. Right, right. I mean, Dan, they got Danny Green. That's a nice pickup. Forgot about Danny Green. Although he's probably 300 years old. Um, all right, uh, to wrap this up, we got to give some hope to Dub Nation. All right, so I need you guys to tell me, what do you believe is going to happen for the Warriors this year? I want to know, as the roster is right now, what seed they're going to get and what to expect this season in the Chase Center in San Francisco in the middle of all the fog. I think they're going to compete for home court advantage. I think they're going to be in that mix. I don't think they're going to be competing for one of the top seeds in the West, but I think I still think a Steph Curry, Draymond Green-led team when they're probably going to be fired up. You know, I think Curry feels like he has things to prove. I think Draymond feels like he has things to prove, uh, perhaps after some of the things he said last year. Um, I know that he and Durant are actually close and get along well, but still when you have it go public that you tell someone that we can win without you and then that person leaves, there's some <laughs> pressure on you to win without him. So, yeah, that was kind of cool. And you see you know, him losing 25 pounds towards the end of the season, realizing you need to get into better shape. I think that is going to carry into – this coming year, he was a beast in the playoffs, and I think he's not going to let that happen again because he knows that the team isn't going to be the first seed in March when he decides to get into shape. So I still think that that core, and then you add D'Angelo Russell, you bring back Kamon Loon, you add Willie Cauley-Stein, I still think that that is a solid playoff team that is competing for home court advantage. Um, I think that they probably end up somewhere in that four to six range. Uh, but then if Clay comes back firing, I think you have a great chance at making some noise in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I'd put them in that four to six range, put up a good fight in the second round kind of a thing. And then I think we see fireworks in the offseason because they have 
D'Angelo Russell as a potential asset, I, I don't think that they got him just to trade him, but I think they got him in a Danny Ainge sort of, we're going to bring in an asset and something good is going to come out of that. Right. You know, there was the report from Marcus Thompson that they pushed for a max contract because Minnesota wasn't offering D'Angelo Russell a max contract. They were offering him a few million short and the Warriors wanted a max contract because that facilitates a trade down the line because he matches up his with Joel Embiid, for instance. It wasn't because he deserved it? It, well, I mean, <laughs> okay, they, they like they like him obviously, but like they probably could have had him for you know twenty seven million a year instead of thirty million a year. But as as a max contract, now he's a straight up easy to trade for a lot of players in the league. So you have that as an asset. You have a seventeen point two million dollar trade exception from Andre Iguodala, which expires on July seventh next year. Mm. So I think there is a pretty decent chance that they have a decent year. Not quite in that same level as, you know, Clippers, Bucks, maybe Sixers, maybe Lakers. Uh, and then this time next year, when we're all hopefully doing this podcast again, we're looking at a team that just sent off some fireworks. Yeah, I sort of ag- I agree with the kind of the prognostication in terms of, you know, where the like a four or five seed, I could see them doing that. It's uh, that's probably about where they slot in, in the, in the West, uh, had to make sure I was saying the right comment there. Uh, but my, my kind of spiciest take is that I think, I think if, if, if I could put money on this, if these lines were up, I would, since we're here in Vegas, but, uh, Steph Curry MVP next year, I think he's, he, it's going to be that it won't like, nothing's going to be 2016 that, but I think you could see a season like he had in 2015. And I think that that coupled with, you know, the way the team's going to be perceived after having lost Durant in terms of them sort of really taking a step back, uh, that's going to kind of curry, curry. Ooh, hey, nice little pun. There. Hey, there uh, you go. <laughs> uh, uh, get some favor with the voters. Uh, but I think that they ha- that they went out and they were able to get an, uh, another shooter offensive weapon who can take some of the pressure off of Curry while Thompson is out and then hopefully getting Thompson out and you know Thompson back excuse me that'll open things up but I think it's going to be uh, you know Tim Kalkami he'll sometimes put it Steph against the world I think you're going to see that a lot and I think that and you know for good reason cuz they had enough you know, talent to kind of spread the weight around when Durant was here. Uh, we haven't seen that in a while. And I think you're going to see it. We're going to remember like this, this, this Curry guy, he's, he's pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, and so I think that while I, unfortunately, you know, I, I will be hoping for it, you know, more banners, it's going to be a real tough road and who knows what's going to happen. But I think that it's going to be an amazing regular season for Steph. And like I said, I think he's got to be a dark horse. You know, if you're not taking Giannis or pound the air out of the ball, James Harden. Um, Is that his government name? (laughs) That, yeah, that's actually what it says on his passport. It just pound the uh, air out of the ball, James Harden. That's what he said when he goes to the strip club and he writes down his name. Sorry. No, no. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, Vegas. I think Steph Curry MVP. That's that's my prediction, and uh, that he's gonna, it's gonna be the Steph show again. Uh, and we people, I think a lot of people forget how great that is. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lost a lot of hope actually. Um, I personally feel like uh, they should have just took the whole season off. You know, I you know what you know I was saying that for a long time. The Warriors should have been like, okay, we're gonna take the Michael Jordan you know deal. Steph, go out, play holy moly. You know what I mean? All year, go cooking with Aisha, um, Clay Thompson, Chase Broads, whatever you want to do. I don't, I don't know, you know, whatever you're doing with your, your knee hurt, um, and just kind of have fun with that. Um, but 
the fire aspect. I mean, for years, this team has been like, of course, you know, they had, you know, Kevin Durant, they're good. Kevin Durant's gone. New arena. Um, Clay's not in there for a while. Steph and Dre have something to prove, like you said before. Um, and not only that, these youngsters are going to be wanting to improve themselves so bad. D'Angelo Russell, Willie Cauley-Stein are two guys who the league has basically been like, yeah, you're not that guy. You know what I mean? Like, like Kyrie comes to Brooklyn and they can't wait to kick D'Angelo out of the door. Like, couldn't wait after all he did to get him to the playoffs. Willie Cauley-Stein, like, he was like a top 10 pick, right? Yeah, okay. six. Six, six, six pick, right? And now he's like a journeyman as like a baby in the NBA, if there's any potential in those bodies at all, if they can't get it out with Steve Kerr and the gang, there's not meant to be in this league. But if they are who they were once believed to be, when you have Steph Curry drawing two, three defenders and Draymond doing his thing, this could be business as usual. And I'm thinking maybe like top three seed. Like, like because Steph's okay. that good. You know what I mean? Like Kawhi Leonard won a championship last year with Fred Van Fleet. <laughs> Fred Van I feel Fleet. like you're kind of forgetting, you know, Kyle Lowry, oh, yeah, Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry. And Danny Green, and Marcus Saul, <laughs> I mean, Baga. He, he won it in spite of Kyle Lowry. Jeez, <laughs> geez, Kyle Lowry, or well, Kawhi that, Leonard. Well, that's all we have here, folks. <laughs> With that Thank you for joining us. Is if you have one guy who can draw two defenders and you have guys who can defend and willing to defend, you can win a championship. You know what I mean? Um, we, we had that in Steph. We, 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 have, we had defenders um, in Dre, Willie. Um, hopefully we'll see how D'Angelo does. When you have Clay come back, I mean, Kyle Lowry was supposed to be a great defender. Clay Thompson cooked him every time he saw him, but no one really cared. You know, you know why? Because he was scoring back. D'Angelo can score back. I like this team a lot. Um, I don't know if we're going to win a championship the first time, but we will be the toughest out in all of basketball. And if we lose anything short of a seven-game series, I'd be shocked unless you know, another disastrous injury happens. But um, I've got the Warriors going to the Western Conference Finals. Um and uh, losing to the Portland Trailblazers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, oh man! Shout out to the Blazers' edge. You know they're, they're really nice to me. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of hope in Dub Nation. I want you to keep hoping as well. Um, because if you can't believe in Steph Curry, you can't believe in anybody. Um, so any other closing thoughts for Dub Nation, guys? Nah, I'm you know get ready to see some of these young kids, whether the guys they signed or these new draft picks. They see how they fit in and play alongside uh, you know one of the greatest players in all time in Steph Curry. So it's you know you're I'm sad that KD's gone and it hurts, but there's you know it's uh, it's always darkest before the dawn and so on and so forth. I just think it's going to be an exceptionally fun year. I think the the expectations are gone for the first time in years. Steph is going to be completely unleashed. There is going to be uh, motivation uh, of the which the, which you've talked about, not just motivation to to win a championship, but motivation for individuals to prove themselves, prove their standing in the league. Uh, and I just think it's going to be a, a fun team. It's going to be a fun year in the league. There are some very very good teams, and as much as I feel like the Clippers should be the championship favorites, there are there is no overwhelming favorite the way the Warriors have been the last yes. few years, and really that for the most part, the league has had an overwhelming favorite every year for a very, very long time, even yes. if that team hasn't always won. Um, I don't feel like that's the case this year. I feel like there are a lot of teams that can make noise. And I put this out on, on Twitter the other day. I, I think, I know you guys hate the Utah Jazz, but I think <laughs> there are seven teams in the Western Conference that all believe that they should make the Western Conference Finals. I think the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Rockets, the Jazz, the Blazers, and the Nuggets all believe that they should be making the Western Conference I, I, I Finals. Mean, that, 
Is that seven? Seven. All right. I, I, I All stopped right. listening after the, you know, there were five that I was like, yeah, okay. And then two where I was like, uh, ah, look, I, I mean, I don't think that. the Blazers have a great chance. Um, I think the, the Nuggets and Jazz have an opportunity here to be um, overmatched by some of those teams. But those are seven teams that if you're the coach, you're the star player, you're the fan base, you're going into the year thinking, all right, this team, like Western Conference final, I believe all seven of those teams would be disappointed to end the year not making the Western Conference finals. Right. And that's. Yeah, that's true. All right, folks, uh, make sure to bring a little bit of hashtag we believe to the Chase Center next year because we're going to need it. All right, signing out for this Jumbo Summer League podcast. Thank you for listening. We're done.